0: Nate, someone say hi, Nate. Hey, you guys are like, like maybe a little too chipper for 9 a.m. New Year's Day. I'm, like, I'm glad you're here, but I don't know if I have the level of energy. Yeah, so um, seriously guys, the, the fact that we're gathered here together to open God's word, to talk about who our God is, how he wants to change us, that um, this just means a lot to me to be here with you. And whether you're tired, whether you got stuff going on in your heart, your mind, whether you're just excited to be here, or you're like, okay, mom dragged me, or I made a resolution and I am regretting it already, whatever, um, get your punch card filled out later, we'll do that. But um, I'm, it, it means a lot that we're starting our year together, opening up God's word, and just trying to meet with him, trying to figure out more of who he is and who he's calling us to be. And so I don't know what you're bringing into this room, I don't know what expectations you have, but... But I I just want you to pause for a moment and reflect on the fact that the God of the universe wants to meet with us. It doesn't have to be first of the year, it doesn't even have to be a Sunday morning, but we get to do this together and open His Word and encounter God. This morning, we're going to do something a little bit different than what we normally do. Normally, we love to take a book of the Bible, walk through it kind of section by section, unpack it. We're going to walk through a passage today, but we're not in a series. Um, I I just need to confess to you guys, usually we're like grabbing a passage and going, okay, what is this saying? As we're starting the year, we're doing something a little bit different where I've got a passage that we're going to unpack, Psalm 27, but we're also going to look at it with a little bit of a lens through um, how do we change, right? That's kind of in the air this time of year. Someone say change. I don't know if you're a resolution person or you used to be a resolution person and you realize you just never keep your resolutions and whatever, But, but for all of us, change is hard. I'm talking about like real life change, real actual change of your character or the patterns of your life you've held on to for a long time. That's that's hard. There's a reason why we get so like excited or interested in resolutions or whatever it's cuz changing in October is difficult, right? So I need some kind of like goal or benchmark or whatever. Maybe maybe you hit 30 or 40 or 50 and you thought, this decade's going to be different. Like I'm going to walk into this one a different person. Change is hard. In fact, maybe there are things about your life, your character, your, your habits, struggles you've had for a long time that you kind of have reached a stalemate with. You're like, yeah, I, I used to try to change in this, and now we sort of, we cope. We coast. Like, that's just kind of who I am. I'm just an angry person. I, I, it hasn't changed so far, it's not going to change now. I'm just a jealous person. I'm just kind of a, a sad, or what, whatever it is. Maybe there are things that you used to think, okay, that needs to change, and then, Along the way, somehow, you kind of ran out of steam. Real change, changing the stuff of life that actually matters is really hard. It's harder than just kind of like another resolution, another year. And I think if we sat down and talked together, you and I could list time after time that maybe you even feel like God was pointing something out in your heart and life and you wanted to work on it. And, and it just didn't happen. Even if you're not a Christian this morning, you know like change in a fundamental way is difficult and maybe you feel like your life is this collection of bad habits you built along the way and you don't know how to shake them. And maybe you're even coming to church this morning because you're like, I need something. I need something different than what I've had before and so maybe this is a spot for it. I don't know. This is kind of my like Hail Mary pass. Let's see what happens. How do we find real life change? Like, real change on a fundamental level in us. How do we find that? Let's go to the Bible and and try to answer this question. Psalm 27. Now, again, confession. Psalm 27 is not about, like, life change per se. If you just read Psalm 27 by yourself, like, tomorrow or or two days, you'd be like, I don't know if that's actually about change. I just need to confess to you that this psalm is not exactly about change, okay? But as we look at what the heartbeat of Psalm 27 is, we're going to see some keys to finding real life change for us. So Psalm 27 is written by this guy named David. If you know David and Goliath, that story, that that boy became a king. That king was um, a a conqueror, a general. He united the tribes of Israel. He helped lead to to a time of political kind of growth and prosperity for his people. But he also was a poet. And many of the Psalms were these ancient worship songs that were either like personal and private or sung together as a community. Psalm 27 is one of those. We don't know exactly exactly why he wrote it or what was going on, but we'll see in the psalm some keys to that or some clues to that. But it was meant to be sung by by the community together. Like you could read it by yourself, but but like we sang worship songs this morning, you, you'd sing Psalm 27. And as you sang it, it was supposed to shape and form your heart, your mind, your perspective, your instincts a little bit. If that wasn't enough time to get to Psalm 27, you need to use your, uh, your, your, table context more often. It is your best friend, okay? And if you don't have a Bible, we're going to keep opening this week after week. We'd love to give you one. We'd love to put it in your hands so that you can get a reading plan and keep going with that. But Psalm 27, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this whole psalm to us, and if something sticks out to you, maybe, maybe circle that verse number or, or jot it down, and then we'll unpack a little bit more what the psalm is saying, okay? Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You've said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O oh, you who have been my help, cast me not far off; forsake me not, O oh God, in my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O oh Lord; lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries; for false witnesses have risen against me; they breathe out violence. But I believe I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord; be strong; let your heart take courage. Wait. For the Lord. There's a lot going on in there. I, I want to highlight a couple themes we see running through this, this whole psalm. I, I'm sure you noticed this, but, but even if you don't know exactly what was going on in David's life, you can tell that he was, he was in some trouble, right? He had enemies around him, people pressing in. Someone say enemies. Like half of the verses in the psalm explicitly talk about armies, evildoers, people slandering against him, even his parents forsaking him. There's stress and pressure on his shoulders. He's he's this king leading a nation. He's a general leading an army, and he's in trouble. Even the things that seem positive in this, right? The Lord is my light and salvation because I'm in dark and I need saving. I won't be afraid because there's actually things that I should be afraid of right now. Over and over in this psalm, we get this sense of of press and pressure in on his life. I, I hope you don't relate to the word enemies, like I hope when I say enemies, nobody really comes to mind. Maybe you do have people in your life that you've had hostility with for years. But even if you don't have a, a person that comes to mind as an enemy, I think we can relate to the pressure and the press in our lives. Like there are situations and circumstances in your life that feel like they're an enemy to your joy and your happiness. There are things going on in your life and your world that feel like they're pressing in and squeezing out your peace or your hope, let alone life change, right? Right? Who has time for life change when I've got all of this stuff going on? Think back to like resolutions you made three years ago. What were you doing three years ago around this time? I was about to have a a job transition. I was asked by the the church I was at to to start moving roles. Um, So I lived in a different city at that point. I was looking forward to in a few months, man, I was going to tell the salt company that I was leading there, like I'm transitioning. It's bittersweet. I love you guys. There's a great team taking over. It's going to be Awesome. I was thinking through, okay, how do I lead this new team and this new department, all this stuff? We were about to have our first kid, and I I was excited and I was nervous, all that stuff happening. You know what was not on my mind? A global pandemic or something like that, right? Like, you remember that beginning of 2020? Like, I heard about this, like, virus overseas, but I wasn't thinking about that stuff coming into my world. And yet, in a few months, we were trying to figure out, where do I buy toilet paper? Like, do I have to bleach my groceries (laughs) Like, do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Who do I wear a mask around? Like, what, how does this work? Do I get to go to church at some point? If you had a resolution about change in your life, all of a sudden, all that stuff was out the window because you were trying to figure out how do I get my kids online schooling? How do I work online? Like, how do I see my friends? And it doesn't take something that catastrophic in our world to, to sweep away life change, to sweep away the the positive direction you want to move in life. In fact, maybe there, there are going to be things this year that, that maybe won't be a global pandemic, but they will uproot the vision you had for your life. Like, I, I can't guarantee much about this year, but I can guarantee some things are going to happen that will not be fun, pleasant that will not be what you hoped for or expected or dreamed, right? That is going to happen this year. Every year, we're like surprised that uncertain things happen, but they keep happening. Maybe it's getting laid off or a sickness or whatever. Stuff is going to happen this year that will that will dislodge your best laid plans when it comes to, to life change, to these resolutions and goals you had. We might not have enemies the same way David did, but we're we're going to be up against some things this year. That that's the first thread we see in this psalm that that presses and pushes against real kind of heart-level change we want to see. The unexpected comes and it sweeps away our best laid plans. What what's the other thread that we're seeing in this? It's it's tied intimately together. It, it seems like every time he's mentioning enemies and oppositions and foes, he bounces right back to God being the source of his hope. Someone say hope. These enemies come, but, but his hope keeps coming back to who God is. Like, again, the Lord is my light and salvation, whom shall I fear? I'm going to list some people I should be afraid of, right? There are real things to be afraid of, but, but at the end of the day, I've got this hope in God that is stronger, that, that these things bounce me right back to who he is. Even verse 11, look, look back at it, it says, Teach me your way, O Lord, lead me on a level path because of my enemies, like the, the enemies, the context, the uncertainty that he's in actually pushes him back to following God and being closer to God. There's a thread of hope in this. I will sing and make to the Lord. Even the, the one command in this passage in verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. When do you need courage? When you got some things you should be afraid of, right? But his hope is fixed on God. I I need to be honest with you guys. This is not necessarily my reaction. Like when when stuff is, is tough or when I'm struggling, bouncing right back to God. Like when do you struggle to read your Bible? Is it on days where everything goes according to plan? Or is it on days when like the kids are sick, work went too long, you've got conflict you're thinking about, right? I get to the end of my day and I'm like, okay, another episode. Yep, you're already doing it for me. That's great. I'll just keep sitting here. I struggle to, like, follow God, even in some of these basic things, when I'm faced with uncertainty, opposition, stress, and trial. Can you relate? Like, when do you not show up to connection group? Is it, is it when you've had a long day at work, and you just want another glass of wine on the couch? When do you stop your Bible reading plan? Is it when you get to Leviticus, and you're like, I don't understand why there are all these animals dying. Another goat, okay, man. Like, I am not like David in this Psalm. And, and I don't know if you are either. There are times in life when we like hit rock bottom and that seems to bounce us back up. When everything in our life seems to give way and we go, I just I don't have anything left to go back to. I need to find a new hope. I need to bounce off of that bottom back up somewhere new. But in the small shocks, the everyday stuff of life, I don't know if, if you and I actually are hopeful like this in the little things that knock us off course. Well, I want to put an even finer point on this, okay? David writing this, again, general, king, leader, talking about armies against him, talking about being forsaken by his family. This this verse right here is like worth the whole thing. Look at verse four again. This is his prayer. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. Like one prayer request. If you could pray one thing this whole year and know for sure God was going to give it to you, what would you pray about? This is his prayer request. He says, that will I seek after. I'm pursuing this. I'm seeking this with everything. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He's using kind of temple and location language because at that time, God was telling his people, listen, set up this tent, the tent of meeting, and I will meet with you there. I will make my presence known and felt and experienced there. If you show up there, you know I will be there. So with everything going on in his life and his world, literally, you can read through the armies, the enemies encamped against him, people abandoning him. His one prayer request, the one thing he's looking for, is just to look at the beauty of God and be close to him. Again, if... Before you walked in here this morning, if I just made you write on a slip of paper, hey, one prayer request, you can only pray one thing this year, what would it be? I assume for a lot of us it would actually be good things. Maybe reconciliation with somebody you've had brokenness with. Or, or maybe it would be very practical things like a promotion at work or, or a relationship or whatever. Things that even wouldn't necessarily be bad or wrong. But when I read verse 4, it, it upends my vision for my own life. Like I, it's something completely different to look at God, and make that the one request. He's talking about a new kind of vision. Someone say vision. Vision is this like kind of weird buzzy word, right? Like vision statements that we slap up on a wall and maybe never talk about again. We use this stuff in in business and things like that all the time, but, but the word vision, at its core, it's talking about what you see. It's talking about what your eyes are fixed on. I go to the optometrist to get my vision checked out because you look like a bunch of blobs right now and that's not really helpful if I'm trying to talk with you. He says that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. There's something that has caught his eyes and his attention so that when the the armies and the other things are around, when there are other things that are trying to crowd out his field of view, there's something else that has fixed his eyes. I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. See, the the point of the psalm is not like, look, David was a good guy, go be more like David, have fun, right? That's just another recipe for failure. That's another kind of resolution that that will get swept away in our lives, but he's not saying look at me because I'm so good. He's saying actually look at what I'm looking at because whatever else is around me, whatever else is happening in your world, in your life, there's something you can gaze at, look at, fix on that's worth it. That I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. His vision is fixed on God for two reasons. One, because God is beautiful, and two, because God is worth it. God is beautiful. Like you and I were wired to see and experience beauty, and you might not be an artist, right? You, you might not actually feel like you wanna go walk in an art gallery and look at those things, but you still respond to beauty. You were designed to see and experience beauty, and that's one of those things that's like very weird about the human race, and if you don't believe in God, it's kind of hard to understand what that means, like, it, it's hard to understand why beauty would actually resonate in our souls unless we were created to look at something beautiful. Like, beauty from, from a purely naturalistic sense does not make sense. Why would a flower look beautiful to you? You don't need pollen. You don't need honey. That doesn't, or, well, you do need honey. Okay, whatever. Um, but you're not drawn to those things the same way a bee is, and yet there's something in you that's still drawn to beauty. We design beautiful spaces. We look at works of art. We're drawn to mountains and oceans. You respond to beauty because there's something in you that was meant to tune in and fix in the most beautiful being in all the universe. You were made to gaze at the beauty of God. That, that was designed into you. And you could try to write it off or you could try to fill it with something else, but there, there are not enough sunsets or bouquets of flowers or beautifully designed buildings or whatever to satisfy that in you. You were made to look at the beauty God. And if your picture of God is just this angry guy in the sky, then your view of God is so much smaller than what he really is. He is beautiful. Gaze on the beauty of God, and the other, the other piece of this vision is that God is worth it. Listen, again, if, if God gave you one prayer request this year, and you were really honest on a gut level, and it was something like a promotion, or relationship, or whatever it is, those things might not be bad in and of themselves, but they're they're not really worth your life. They might not even be worth your year. So many of those things, when we get them, it just becomes a moving target. Like say say you get the relationship you've been longing for and hoping for. You start dating and you're like, oh, awesome, we're dating now. When are we getting married, right? Like I'm not going to, not first date, but second date, third date. Like when are we doing this thing, right? Let's move on. The, the goal has shifted. You get the promotion. You're like, sweet. When's the next one coming? When is the next paycheck? Like before you know it, the goal has shifted in your heart and your mind. You have the kid, and you're like, awesome, I love my kid. When are they going to school? When are they getting out of the house? I don't really mean that, but, but it would be nice, right? Every other thing in your life that, that you are seeking after and pursuing, even if it's a good thing, once you get it, you realize it wasn't enough to satisfy you. The goal shifts, and it keeps shifting and keeps shifting. But God is the one being in the whole universe who is infinite, who you'll keep experiencing and exploring and getting to know. And he doesn't change. Like, he doesn't change in his character, but he deepens. We will spend eternity with him, getting to know him more and more and more and more, and never finding the bottom of how beautiful and good he is. Again, just like you were made to experience and and love beauty that was wired into you, you were made to experience and enjoy something that will never run out and run dry. And all those things you've been chasing in your life, the relationship, the promotion, the the whatever, maybe even the thing that brought you to church this morning, those things will run out and God himself never will. If your picture of heaven doesn't include a God that big and that beautiful, heaven is really boring and sad because you kind of run out of fun things to do. But if the centerpiece of heaven is actually this infinite, good, worthwhile God, you will continue to be satisfied in him forever and ever and ever and ever, and you get to start looking at him now. Again, David isn't saying, look at me because I'm so good. He's saying, look at what I'm looking at. I want to look at the beautiful, worthwhile God that was made to satisfy me. It's a new vision And this is one of the the key pieces to real life change. Like real life change comes from a bigger vision of God. If you're a note taker, I want you to write that down. Real life change comes from a bigger vision of God. But, But listen to me, a God this big and this beautiful and this holy, again, he might seem outside of your experience. And if you're honest with the kinds of entrenched sin and struggle in your life, a God that big, beautiful, and holy, he might not actually, he might not be the kind of God that you can just get close to him. Like in in this whole temple language and all of this stuff, they had to offer sacrifices over and over as a sign and a symbol that this God is holy, he is set apart, he is different, he is other. And all of us, every single person has fallen short of what that God is like. Like a God this good and beautiful, actually, we don't deserve to go into his presence. Like we don't deserve to have that prayer request answered, just let me be closer to you. And you can try really hard, you can work really hard to try to be good enough for him, but in one hand, as you're trying to heap up good stuff, in the other hand, you and I are selfish, we're greedy, we're self-centered, As we're, like, trying to pursue that God, we're, like, looking at other people around him, we're jealous, or we're telling them, yeah, look at me, look how I'm doing. Like, we don't deserve to be close to this God, and so if it was just up to you to get near him, that would be a recipe for failure and disappointment. That would short-circuit your life change in a heartbeat. But it's not up to you at the end of the day. Like, we just celebrated Christmas as this God coming in human flesh to make a way for you to get near him. We don't set up a temple anymore, any of that stuff, because Jesus Christ was the final sacrifice to make a way for you to get near this God. Like this prayer request, you can actually have confidence and certainty that the God of the universe would answer you and say, yes, come near me, be with me, find satisfaction in me because of Jesus. For all of the the struggle with change and the sin that's real in your heart and your life, Jesus on the cross, he, he offers to take that for you. He said, hey, my perfect life, my righteousness, my rightness with the God of the universe, like God in flesh, I want to offer that to you so you can barge on the throne of heaven in exchange I'll take your failings and your falling short and your giving up on change. I'll take that. I will pay for it. I will satisfy justice and I will rise in victory to prove that you can come near this God. This God that is beautiful and big and worthy that your soul was made for. Listen to me, if your Christianity is a list of like supposed tos, right, I'm supposed to read my Bible, I'm supposed to come to church, I'm supposed to do this stuff, that's a terrible vision for the Christian life. Like no wonder your want tos beat your supposed tos, right? Like that happens all the time. Like yeah, I'm supposed to come to church, but I really want to hang out with my friends on Saturday night, or I really want to get a little bit more sleep, or, or whatever, those want tos win over and over again. A list of supposed to's is not worth your life, but a God this big and beautiful that has made a way for you to come near him that is actually worth not only your life, but your eternity. And friend, if you've never accepted Jesus, if you've never taken him up on his offer to pay for your sin and make a way for this God, that's your first step today. That's actually what needs to begin changing in your life. Don't try to clean yourself up to get near this God. Accept Jesus making you clean and start praying, God, can I just be closer to you? Through him. But listen to me, if you're a Christian this morning and you're saying, okay, I, I know that thing, I want to take this a step deeper when it comes to real life change. There's a philosopher, um, kind of Christian thinker named Dallas Willard, who's with, with the Lord now, but he had this framework for thinking or for, for life change. Uh, he said, vision, intention means. He said, you need a new kind of vision for what your life could be like. And then, then you need to be intentional about what changes in your life to match that vision. And then you need to take the means God's given us to walk in that change. Here, here's part of why that vision is so important. I remember, like, very few commercials in my life. I don't know if you do, but I remember a couple from when I was a kid. And this might mark my age a little bit. Um, tell me if you remember this one. This, like, guy sitting in a wheelchair with a hole with a, a in his neck. And, and kind of talking to the camera about how he had smoked for years, and it wasn't worth it. Can you guys picture that? Yeah? yep. some nods there. Okay. Or, or a woman like talking with one of those like metal thing, you know, like the robot voice thing. That was this whole campaign of like, hey, kids, don't smoke. And it, it kind of has worked quite a bit. I mean, when was the last time you were in a restaurant or a place like that with the smoking section? Even the, the campus I went to, Iowa State, like, you weren't allowed to smoke on campus grounds, so you would see people, like, just on the sidewalk right next to campus, you know, going for it, and I, I was traveling to, to Egypt at one point, and one of the things that caught me off guard the most, we were just in a restaurant, and I, I was, like, I was thrown off, and I couldn't figure out why, and it's because the people at the table next to me in this restaurant were just smoking, because that was so outside of my norm and my experience, we saw these like commercials in these pictures and they gave us a new vision for what life would be like if we followed down a certain path. Or maybe even it's like a, a dieting thing, the before and after picture. Or it's fixer upper and it's like, hey, we're gonna change your house, let me show you pictures before that and then afterwards I'll show you before and after. We are wired to look for a different picture, a different vision of what life would be like as part of our change. And, and so maybe one of the things that has robbed you of joyfully pursuing God is you never really thought about what would happen if you did it. Like you've never really pictured what would happen in your life if you did look at God's beauty, if you did enjoy him more, if you did fight that sin in your life and find some kind of victory. Like you've been stuck on on action and supposed to and and you've you've missed where God was inviting you. We start with vision. We start looking at a picture of what God might do in our lives and putting some flesh to that as a path to change. And if you don't have that, as soon as you hit a roadblock or a bump, then you go back to status quo. You go back to bad habits when stress and struggle come because there's not a bigger vision of what would be worth it and pressing towards the future. So we start with vision. The next thing we need is we need intention. We need to be intentional because so many of the habits and the patterns and the friendships in your life, your calendar, your bank account, are set up to just keep running the same place you've been running. Like the people you've been surrounding yourself with are, are actually the people that are going to keep shaping and forming you for who, who you're going to be tomorrow and the day after and the week after. We've said it often at DOXA, like who our members are today are who we're going to be in 10 years. You don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden change everything about your life when all of your friends and your spending and your whatever have been pushing you one way. And, and let me be honest, the, the press and the drift of the world around you is not towards godliness and holiness and gazing at the beauty of the Lord. It's towards all kinds of other things. So if you have this vision, you need to start looking intentionally at the things that would have to change in your life if you were gonna live in that vision. If you are gonna start looking at the beauty of this God, maybe you need to rearrange your schedule so you can actually make it to church often or connection group or start reading your Bible or maybe you need to change what you do in your drive like you've got this habit and this pattern but maybe that needs to start changing if you're really gonna look at the beauty of this God. And then means. What are the means that God has given us for this change? I kind of don't like means because it sounds kind of mean, I don't know, but like, I like the word action in that. Vision, intention, action. What's just the next right step of faith God's inviting you into? And this is silly, this is kind of cheesy, but like via is the Latin word for road or way or path. This is the via, this is the path of change that God's given you. You start with the vision of life based on a bigger vision of God. You get intentional about your life and then you take the next action, the next step. And the action does not have to be big and dramatic and life-changing. In fact, some of the the most important actions are the small ones, right? Like think of showering. Hopefully you shower often, regularly. Um, That's not a big dramatic thing, right? To shower every day. But it's kind of dramatic if you stop showering, right? It's those small steps that lead to a bigger change. It's not dramatic to read your Bible one day but it becomes dramatic when you compound it over time, day after day after day, your life begins to change. Okay, that's big, kind of up in the air, heady language. You're like, dude, I stayed up till eleven thirty last night, or after midnight, whatever. I, I want to get really specific and practical with just a picture for you, okay? Picture you're like this, this ball, and, and you're gonna have ups and downs this year. You're gonna have things that, that hit you this year, but but imagine if the vision of your life was that every time you went up or bounced against something, every time you went up or down, you bounced right back, right back into God's hand. Like close to Him. You were drawn to Him. You weren't, you weren't rolling off somewhere else. I'm not actually going to do that because I wouldn't be able to track it down. But, but, but picture this. The things that would crush you this year, you lose your job. They break up with you. You have conflict with your spouse. Your kid stops talking to you. The diagnosis comes back. If all of those things bounce you right back, right back into God's hand, in His presence. He, he's never out of control, but if your perspective was that I am right in His hand, I am right in His presence, I get to be with Him. And those things didn't become the enemy of your joy and happiness, they actually became the thing that bounced you right back to Him right back to him. When when my enemies are around me, when an army encamps against me, when war arises, I will be confident because it's pushing me right back to him. You got that promotion? She said yes. You have the kid. Those things didn't elevate you too far and too much as if that was your only hope, but it, it pushed you right back to the hand of the one who was beautiful and the actual satisfaction of your life. What if that was the vision of your life that you just bounced back to his hand a little bit faster and a little bit faster and a little bit faster? That's not dramatic. It's not sexy. It's really hard to Instagram that. But what would have to change about your life intentionally to make that happen? You'd probably have to start reminding yourself, right? This isn't the end of the story. This isn't gonna be my hope. You'd have to start building some things in to start reminding yourself, maybe putting a verse on your mirror, or surrounding yourself with people that are going to start talking to you like that and reminding you of that. If you had that vision, you'd start to get intentional, and then you just have to take one action. Maybe it is reading your Bible to look at the character of this God that he's beautiful, or maybe it is beginning to pray verse 4 every day. Again, it is not dramatic to pray this one verse every day, but the, the compounding effect across the course of a year, that could change everything for you. I, I don't know what the vision is for you, but, but what would happen if we were a group of people that, that had a bigger vision of God that led to real life change? Like Picture that with me. Get some vision with me. What would happen in your life if those entrenched sins and struggles You didn't just surrender to them, but you actually had a bigger vision of God where it was worth letting those things fall off your back or fighting them like death to be closer to that God. What would change in your marriage? Would that cold war finally start to thaw? What would change with that person you've been trying to share the gospel with? Would they see something different in you than they've ever seen before? What would change in the way you approach work? Would your emotions be less captivated by what that person thinks of you or or what that paycheck looks like? Maybe you'd even find yourself starting to say, like, I actually do want one thing this year. I actually have found one beautiful, worthwhile thing, and it's just being closer to this God who has made a way for me in Jesus. Doc let's be a church more like that. January 1st, 2024, people that are just ready to bounce right back to the hand of our father and look at his beauty let's pray that he does that in us more today god i'm asking one thing for myself and one thing for my friends this morning would you give us a bigger vision of who you are that you are worth it would you give us a bigger vision of what it would look like to look at your beauty and just be in your presence through christ God, those entrenched sins, those habits we've been carrying with us, like a weight around our neck for years, would you begin to shift and move those things as we put our eyes on you? Would you show us even the ways we need to get intentional about our lives, our, our, the patterns, the friendships, whatever, and would you show us the right next step of faith today? So that whatever comes this year, we have a hope that is fixed on you and we just bounce right back to your presence because you're worth it. Teach us and form us, even as we sing together today, would you begin to form our hearts and our minds to see you as beautiful and worthwhile. Jesus, we pray these things in your name for your glory. Amen.